What do you possess that you don't use? Like, I know you all got junk in your house. I got junk in my house. What do you possess that you don't use? I have a lot of college textbooks. Mm. That I can't what if I need to look something up? Yeah, that was... I've got a whole closet full of college... Now, I've kept an entire closet for that one note that I know is in one of those books, and I go search it. So I'm with you on that. What else? What other... That's going to come in handy. <laughs> it's going to come in handy. Uh, anybody else something come to mind? Mark, you're like the neatest person I know, so you probably like... That's good. Does that go for your clothes and your closet? Does it? Wow, that's awesome. Shelly, you should hear that. <laughs> I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? No, I'm sorry. Shelly was looking through social media the other day. She's like... I didn't realize how old that shirt was, but that post was from 10 years ago. It is broke. It is, if it's not the same color it was when you bought it, it's broke. <clears throat> Here's the second question. What do you possess that you use incorrectly? There's some things that you have that you don't use. There's some things that you have that you use incorrectly. <clears throat> You know, still works. I just don't use it. Could be, like you think about that. It's like it's built for a garage, and that garage has purpose because it protects my car. It gets me in and out of the weather without getting a rainy day. But then I use it incorrectly, and now it becomes a frustration point when I'm running through the rain to my car when a hailstorm comes and I got nowhere to pull my car. And it's like, we've got a flipping garage, but you know what? We got a lot of stuff I don't use cluttering up the garage that I'd like to use, and now I'm using it incorrectly to keep junk that I'm not using at all. And like, I don't even get to enjoy the purpose for which I have a garage. Right? Yeah, that's that's, that's about how it works. That's about how it works. Anything else? I had so we got the... Now, that's our workbench. That's not our pool table. It's our workbench. It's not a very good one. Time. Time. Yeah. You're using it incorrectly or not at all? Incorrectly? Yeah, it's somehow or another, yeah. 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 My sunroom. Oh, his garage. Yeah, it's your daughter's playroom. Yeah. Yeah, and you can't even like eat with friends because you got like Barbie doll houses and junk. Like, you got play plastic kitchens in your dining room that's supposed to like be hosting parties, right? So when you have kids, both of these questions like increase like exponentially. Like. Before we had kids, we had 1,200 square foot, a block and a half from here, and it was, it was like Mark. Like we didn't have anything we didn't use, and 1,200 square foot, you just manage it consistently, and it's good. You use everything well, but we had Micah, and then I started college, and then my dining room became my office, and the whole world fell apart from there. We've never regained composure. It's just what happens, right? And then now I think about our sunroom. Uh, the feeling of possessing something intended to be peaceful. Your garage. It's intended to add a level of 
predictability, wholeness. It's intended to uh, provide some level of peace for you in your life. To the, the feeling of possessing something intended to be peaceful yet turns out to be chaotic when you either don't use it or use it incorrectly. Like everything you just listed has a purpose and a function in your life, yet when you don't use it or use it incorrectly, it instead of being a source of peace, it ends up being a source of chaos, right? It's like, I've got a sunroom that when my grandma lived in my house, she shelled peas in that sunroom, she sat and read the paper, she drank her coffee, and it was a place of peace. Now you walk in, now that I live in the same house and I have the same sunroom, you're like, dude, what blew up in here? It's like four kids. That's what blew up. A place of peace became a place of chaos because I use it incorrectly. And here's the thing for me that when I think about that, it's often more frustrating than the environmental chaos that we experience. Like you're going to walk outside today and if you go to Walmart, you're going to have like some environmental chaos that you have no authority over to some extent. It's like it just exists because people exist. And then you got to manage internally and externally your response to that chaos. And that's one thing. But to have stuff and, and possessions in your life that, that when you either don't use it or use it incorrectly, it is a source of chaos. For me, that's almost more frustrating than the environmental chaos that I encounter. It's like because it's my, it's how I practice the possession that stirred that chaos. And it's like at that point, yeah, that's frustrating because it's, it's mine. And that chaos has been stirred by me and the way that I responded to what I have. And that becomes, for me, more irritating. Jesus said in John 14, 27, We've read this all month long. Peace, I leave you. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give to you. That's what Jesus told his disciples, and the message is still for us. Jesus says, I'm giving you a possession. Peace. He said, actually, I possess it. Guys in my Tuesday morning group, pay attention. This is how we exegete a passage. You look at it. You look at the vocabulary. You look at what's going on in the context. He says, I own peace. What is peace? We've defined it out of the original Hebrew. I'm not going to go through that again. But it's the ability to destroy Authority connected to chaos. Jesus says, I own the ability to destroy authority connected to chaos. That's mine. I own it. And not only does Jesus possess it, Jesus practices it. And you see through his life that he practices that which he possesses. He uses it. He puts it to use. It is not in his tool belt that is not pulled out. He says, I actually practically over and over and over practice the ability to destroy authority connected to chaos, who in the scriptures is identified as Satan. He is the author of confusion. Jesus 
and our Heavenly Father is not. So Jesus says, I possess it, it's mine, I own it, and I put it into practice. So when we read about Jesus in the gospel narratives, we see that he lives in chaos. Like, that's the town he lives in. Because there's thousands of people always wanting a piece of him, always pressing into him, always wanting to touch him, always wanting to listen to him, always wanting to see him do something. If anybody lived in the middle of chaos, it was Jesus Yet we see that Jesus practices the ability to have peace amidst the environmental chaos. Like the chaos that is around Jesus does not affect him, has no authority in his life. None whatsoever. Chaos... Jesus speaks of peace. He speaks of it in contrast to chaos. And we talked about chaos a couple weeks ago. We gave it some descriptions. It's unpredictable, uncontrollable, and it's confusion. That's chaos. Unpredictable, uncontrollable, and confusion. And peace is whole, it's orderly, and it's complete. So like if you're at peace, you're like whole. Right? And when you think about chaos, that's why, sad note, when I think about this is peace, it's whole, it's together. But then when you break that pie up, you're no longer whole, but you're broken, you're splintered. And things become unpredictable and uncontrollable. And interestingly enough, I've shared this with you a number of months ago, if you've been around for a long time. Anxiety actually means pulled apart. So when you're anxious, you're pulled apart. And when you're anxious and being pulled apart, anxiety, I'm not sure which comes first. It's either the cause or the fruit of chaos. Because when you're pulled apart, you're no longer whole. This is peace. This is chaos. So we often recognize chaos more by the symptoms it creates than the factors it displays. I think we recognize chaos by the symptoms that it creates, such as anxiety. What other things did we say? It creates fear, anxiety, anger, makes you tired. These are the symptoms of chaos. So sometimes you don't, you don't walk around and say, this is chaos. You say, I'm afraid. You don't say, look at the chaos. You say, I'm tired. Right. How was your week? Oh, I'm tired. Because something was chaotic. It wore you out. How was your week? Oh, I'm just so irritated. That's a symptom of the chaos in your life. So if this is the case, let me ask you a question. What symptoms does peace create? So I don't say, buddy, how's your week? Man, I'm just at peace. No, you say, 
What are the symptoms that peace creates? In peace, we are content. Joyful or happy. Like when you're at peace, you're just like rolling with the flow, right? When everything's whole internally, you're just like put together and things are crazy around you. It's like I can wait out the chaos because I myself am whole, right? Um, I got a couple. Courage, maybe that goes with patient. And I had one more that I liked. Freedom. I'm not like controlled by the chaos, but it's almost like I'm separated and I'm free from the chaos. It doesn't own me. It doesn't control me. It doesn't define me. It doesn't push me. It doesn't pull me. I'm free from it. This is peace. Jesus possessed and practiced this type of peace. He possessed it and he practiced this type of peace. And then he lays it down within your reach. He's like, I own this. This, Joe, I own. I'm going to lay it right there and you can pick it up. You can have it. My peace I give to you. You too can possess and practice this. Colossians, dang, left my Bible in my backpack. Colossians 1, verses 19 through 20, explains what it is that we have in Jesus. Colossians 1, verse 19 through 20 says this. God was pleased... To have all his fullness dwell in him. Him is Jesus. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile everything to himself. By making peace through his blood. Shed on the cross. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus so that through Jesus he would reconcile everything to himself by making peace through his blood that was shed on a cross. Simply put, here's the Josh version of this. Those who have Jesus have been made right with God. Those who have Jesus have been made right in their relationship to God their Father. Right, so here's me. And I don't, you like don't know how to draw God the Father. You don't want to draw the bearded man because that's just not right. But it's like, so I'm just going to say, I'm going to spell it. Because like any picture just seems irreverent. I was going to say irrelevant, but... um, So simply put, those who have Jesus have been made right in their relationship to God their Father because sin separates me from my Heavenly Father, right? 
Sin separates me from my heavenly Father. And by the blood of Jesus, it says that he has sin, brings about whoop, whoop, chaos. Whoop, whoop, down there, there's our symptoms. And Jesus, by his blood, cleanses sin, therefore making me right in my relationship with God, my Heavenly Father. He took away that which separates me. Sin separates and Jesus reunites. Okay? In its most simple form, that's what we have when we have Jesus. Now, there's a lot of symptoms and a lot of benefits and a lot of things, but in its most simplest form, that's what we have when we have Jesus. I've had a number of friends in my life, not like a whole lot, because I may not be that friendly of a person, but I think we would all probably agree with this, that no matter how many friends we have in our life, uh, you get a limited number of best friends. Agree? It's like, I got a lot of friends, but you get only a small number of best friends. Um, During my junior year of high school, uh, I made a friend who became one of those best friends. Uh, The best part wasn't necessarily what we did, but when you have a best friend, it's just that you're doing it together. Right? Because you do everything together. We were lake buddies, softball friends. Um, I remember my senior year of high school, like I'd get out of school and he graduated a year before me and already had his career as a mechanic and he was at work and I'd just get out of high school, just get out of class and I'd just drive to a shop and hang out in his work bay like almost every afternoon. Just because we were friends, and that's what we did, just constantly together. Uh, Fishing, lake, everything. We were the the friends that when he broke up with his high school sweetheart, I was the one that sat in his truck and, like, listened to him. Your best friend goes from, like, lake buddy to now you're the guy that sits and watches him cry all night because, like... You lost your high school sweetheart that you thought was forever. But then I was also the friend that's like standing by his side the day we actually met his wife. Right? I mean, it's just that's the story of a best friend. And uh, I, I, I can't probably give you maybe even one more friend that fits that kind of category in my life. But something happened between us. Something broke the peace. Like not anything recognizable, not anything like this is the day that we quit being friends. Like he offended me and I quit being his friend. It's like that didn't even happen. But something happened and the peace was broken and the friendship was kind of broken. I can't even tell you what it was. I can only survey the symptoms. And the main symptom that shows a lack of peace between me and my friend is this. I haven't talked to him in over 12 years. Right? You know, well, yeah, you're probably not friends anymore. Like at some point, 
the silence becomes deafening in the fact that, like, huh. Like, I can't even tell you why we stopped talking. All I can do is tell you that we did stop talking. Um, and that's the symptom. <clears throat> One of the most key rhythms for peace when it comes to Jesus Jesus had some rhythms in his life, things that he repeated over and over and over. And those rhythms are what established and maintained the peace that he operated in. One of the most key rhythms for Jesus was communicating with his heavenly father. Luke 5.16, the verse that I've read to you for the past two weeks, we're going to read it one more time. In the midst of chaos, Jesus often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Like he would leave the chaos, go off by himself, and he would pray. He would talk to his heavenly father. He would communicate. I think communicate's a better word because when it comes to praying, it's not always talking Sometimes it's listening. It's communication. And that was one of Jesus' key rhythms. Talking in and of itself, though, doesn't guarantee peace. Anybody know, and I'm not asking for names. If you tell a name, I'm going to deny that you ever said it. Talking in and of itself doesn't guarantee peace because there are some people that when you see them approaching you to talk to you, you become very anxious Right? You're like, ah. And what do you say? I don't want to talk to them. Right? Now, you should repent from that face that you see in your head right now. You should confess that to Jesus. Say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. But communication, talking in and of itself doesn't guarantee peace. Some talking... Some conversation stirs chaos in your soul. And I've noticed that prayer can cause the same symptoms for some people. Can we be honest for a second? Like the same symptoms of you see that person coming, and you're like, ah. Prayer can stir the same symptoms for some of us. Right? So what are some of the struggles that we have with prayer? What are some of the struggles and and why might some of the symptoms, why might we lack some of the symptoms of peace after spending time in prayer? What are the struggles? Why might we lack some of those symptoms after peace? What struggles do we have with prayer? So it feels like an obligation. It's like seeing that person coming and you're like, oh, I got to talk to them again. I didn't even enjoy it last time I talked to them. But I know I'm supposed to. So sometimes prayer has that exact same feeling. It's like, I don't even know what 
to say or do or listen, but I know that I'm supposed to, so it's an obligation. I'm going to fulfill my obligation, and I'm going to pray, and then at the end of it, I still lack some of the symptoms of peace. So why else do we struggle with prayer? Not knowing how or what. Is that what you meant? Sometimes I just don't know how to talk to you, God. So then when I do, it actually increases the feeling of chaos at times. It's like when I, because then I feel like a failure. Then I feel like a loser. It's like, oh, claim to believe in this God. I claim to believe in this Jesus. And then when I want to approach you, I just feel like a bigger loser than I did before because I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. And, but I know I'm obligated to do it. So I'm going to try to do it. And when I get done, I'm just like, eh, still don't have this. Still living over here. Right? What else? Why do we struggle with So we're either facing or avoiding the chaos. Right? Because sometimes our avoidance, like, there's, there's two things that you just said. Number one, if I'm going to communicate with my Heavenly Father in the midst of chaos... I'm either going to bring that chaos to the surface and I'm going to present it to him and I have to face it or I'm actually going to act like it doesn't exist and I'm going to do my obligation and I'm going to communicate with God anyways and we're not even going to talk about we're not even going to address the source of chaos. Either way, in the back of your mind, you're still wrestling with the source. So it's like even praying in and of itself, it's like, then I got to deal with my crap, you know. Sincerity or a lack thereof of sincerity. Okay. And y'all forgive me for not knowing how to spell sincerity. Sincerity. Don't judge me. Derek, what were you going to say? Yeah, like answer that in my head, you know, and know that this is it and move 
So while we struggle, because the fear of God actually responding, it's like, okay, okay, let's do this. Let's pray, God. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going to, we're going to address the chaos. But what Derek just said causes a couple different responses. Number one, I either wait around and I'm listening and trying to to hear from God, and He says something, and like. What if, what if God responds in a way that isn't what like I want to do, or isn't what I want to think? What if He's changing my thinking through prayer, and now I got to face that? And like, ah, just I'm afraid of what I'm going to hear. And there's a flip side of that: fearful of no answer. Like we feel like when we pray, either we hear something that we have to consider or address and then sometimes we struggle with prayer because we feel like I don't get a response at all I'm obligated to pray I don't know how to pray I don't know what to pray so when I do I actually don't want to address some of that stuff anyway so it becomes insincere because I'm not addressing like actual issues I'm not addressing those because I'm fearful of what I will hear. But then when I'm insincere and all this other stuff, then I feel like God didn't actually say anything. I felt like I was just talking to myself. That was kind of awkward, so I'm not going to do that again. Prayer can be a struggle, people. Right? But then your mama told you to pray, so you feel obligated. It's a vicious cycle, and it becomes like that person... You see walking down the sidewalk and you're like, ah, oh, I don't want to talk to them again. And that can be one of the biggest Yeah. Yeah. What if my sin is the source of my chaos, right? And it's like, now in addressing the chaos, I have to address my sin. And then what if God has something to say about my sin that I don't really want to hear, right? And it's like, um. So, during Jesus' earthly life, Hebrews chapter 5 says this. Hebrews 5, we're going to read verses 7 through 9. I usually don't skip around this much, but I had to today. Hebrews 5 says this. During Jesus' earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. So picture what Derek was saying. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he is betrayed and crucified. The author of Hebrews says, In his earthly life, Jesus was praying with Prayers and appeals with loud cries, with tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence to his heavenly father. Because of his reverence, he was heard. And although, although, although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. God was able to save him. God heard him. And although he is the son of God, the overflow of his prayer was that he got to learn obedience through what he suffered. 
after he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Now, we could do a whole sermon series on that, but I want to focus on one thing. Jesus practiced the rhythm to pray and obey. One of the rhythms of peace for Jesus was to pray and obey. Pray and obey. Pray and obey. Now I'm going to confess to you something real quick. That in Hebrews 5, there's, there's some stuff that I don't fully like wrap my brain around. Um, but Jesus was perfected, made complete in some way. He was made complete, perfected by the rhythm that he practiced of pray and obey. There was a process that he went through. That when he would pray and then he would obey, it stirred up and it maintained the peace which came with all the symptoms of it. Amidst his suffering, amidst his struggles, amidst his crying and praying and weeping and yelling and, 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 and just approaching God in, in, in agony and fear and everything that comes with it, when he heard from his heavenly Father, he got up and he walked in obedience. And then he would go back and he would approach his heavenly Father with, with loud cries and loud tears again. And then when he heard from his Father, he'd get up and he'd walk in obedience. And in that process... He possessed and practices the peace that he had. In the midst of the most chaotic circumstances, where friends are betraying him, authorities are arresting him, enemies and and, and strangers are spitting on him. In the midst of that, he goes to his heavenly father. He prays and he obeys. He prays and he obeys. And in his suffering, he is perfected and made complete. And after that, he became the source of salvation for all who would obey him. Praying is not a replacement for obeying. Praying is not a replacement for obeying. One more time. Praying is not a replacement for obeying. Right? It's like, have you prayed about it? Yeah, it just didn't seem to help. Well, have you obeyed through it? Oh, dang, I don't know what he's going to ask of me or what I'm going to have to do to actually walk in obedience. So... Instead of actually like walking in obedience, I'll just pray about it and see what happens. No, praying is not a replacement for obeying. Uh, it's a complement that completes what we possess. Obedience is the complement to prayer. When we pray and obey, we put into practice that which we possess, the peace 
the authority, the ability to destroy the authority connected to our chaos. You can't pray your way out of chaos, but if you pray and obey, they complement one another and you gain authority. You gain the ability to destroy the authority of chaos in your life. Now, if you just go hide in the closet and pray, but when you come out of the closet, you don't walk in obedience, that's not rhythm. And you're not going to practice the same thing that Jesus possessed and practiced. They go hand in hand. They complement one another. I want to confess that it, 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 occasionally I've given poor counsel. It's happened. I usually try to go back and say, hey, <laughs> my bad. Don't listen to what I said. That was incorrect. In this instance, I have not had that opportunity. Uh, but we had a young lady in our ministry one time that shared with Shelly and I, and I can remember still sitting at IHOP with her, and she was... She was going through this, right? Why she struggled in prayer. So we were meeting with her and she was sharing why she felt so alone during prayer. She's like, I try to talk to God, but I feel like I'm just talking to myself. And we sat and we, we talked through it. We listened to her. Praying was not a source of peace for her. It wasn't bringing about these symptoms. It was actually increasing her chaos. Like when she prayed, it didn't bring peace. It increased her chaos. And so we're sitting and we're listening to her and she's sharing these things with me and with Shelly and naively, here's what I did. Here was my poor counsel. I encouraged her to press on, to keep praying. Just pray through the fact that you feel like God's not listening. Just pray through the fact that you feel disconnected from God. Just pray through the reasons why you struggle. Just, just keep praying. If you keep praying, you'll press your way out of the other side. All the while, she was walking in blatant disobedience to the clear teachings of Jesus. And I could share the ways that she was walking in sin. She knew the teachings of Jesus, yet she continued to walk in disobedience. She knew what God had asked of her, and she went the other way. And then when she went back and she wanted to talk to God, hear from God, she felt alone. She thought that prayer was a replacement for obedience, but it's not. She eventually gave up and gave in to her choices. And now her life is a result of the consequences of her choices. That's the path she chose. We've lost touch, and she's gone on. That was poor counsel, because prayer is not a replacement for obedience. It's a complement, one with the other. It's a rhythm. You pray, and you obey, and it's a constant rhythm, step after step, after step, after step. And if you will walk in that rhythm, you will walk in the peace that you possess in Jesus. That's how you practice it. Maybe you struggle with prayer. Maybe you feel incomplete. Maybe the, one of the things like prayer, which is designed to create peace in your life, is actually just kind of muddying the water of chaos. 
if it's not working for you? Have you set the rhythm? Have you set your rhythm to pray and obey? Have you set that? Have you set your rhythm to pray and obey? Are there areas in your life, like Zach was talking about, that you've held back from your Heavenly Father? It's like, I'm going to pray about this. But no, we're not even going to touch this today, Father. Like, God, can you work this out? This really stinks right now in my life, and I'm really wore out by it. Can you work it out? He's like, hey, can we step aside and talk about this? No, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about this. It's like, no, I'd rather talk to you, Joe, about this other stuff, bro. It's like, no, Father, we're not going to talk about that today. No, there's a rhythm of pray and obey. Have you set your rhythm? Are you holding back areas of your life? Are there choices that you have not given him access to? Now, I want so badly for us to discuss those last questions, but I also understand that that's probably not going to happen. Right? But I'm going to leave some room for silence so that if anybody wants to answer one of them, they could do so at this time. Derek, you asked a question. How long have we known each other? Eight years. So we were in a car getting ready for either first or second year of next camp. And we were driving somewhere between the campgrounds in Mena, Arkansas. I think Tyler and Autumn may be in the car with me. And you asked a question back then, and I think you discerned the answer far better now than you did then. But you said... Um, if God already knows, then why do I need to keep praying? And I remember you asking that question. Like, why, why would I keep praying if, if what Marianne just said is true? And I, I think what Marianne just said sometimes is like, okay, if I'm going to confess, if we're going to bring it into the light, 
by communicating with our Heavenly Father about it. Sometimes it's not our ability to change His mind, but it's His ability to change ours through that confession. It's like, I want to say this out loud to you. I want to speak to my Father, and I want to communicate to them out loud. And, and what's funny is sometimes when I'm communicating with my Father, just the peace that rushes over me, it's like, even as I say that out loud, Father, I know that like, that's no big deal to you. Oh, it felt like such a big deal in me. But now that I'm communicating it to you, Father, it's like, you got that. You got that. So, so now I don't have to be enslaved by that. Now I can continue to go out and walk in obedience in the things that are in front of me. Because when I came to you in prayer, it's like I was enslaved by that. I was paralyzed by that. I was in fear, anxious, tired, angry about all those things. And now I went to my father and I told him these things. And he reminded me in the midst of that. I see it. I know it. And I'm over it. I got control of it. Now you can go walk in obedience in the other things in your life. You're free from that. You're free from that. But then we have this struggle. It's like, I want to bring all that. And then I want to walk away and continue in disobedience. It doesn't work like that. That's not how Jesus was perfected to become a sacrifice for us. It's not how it works. It's not like I've got my Heavenly Father that takes care of all my bad things. While I continue to ignore his authority, ignore his goodness, ignore his gifts, and just do my thing. Continue to stir up chaos in my life and let him be the cleanup crew. It's not how it works. It's not what Jesus did to practice that which he possessed. And he practiced it and he showed us it. He modeled it. And now he laid it right in front of you and said, you can have the same thing. You can just pick it up. Just pick it up. What do you possess that you don't use? Are you using the peace that has been given to you in Jesus? What do you possess that you use incorrectly? Are you trying to pick up that peace and say, all right, Jesus, I trust you. I claim you. I'm going to pick that piece up and I'm going to use it the way I want to. If you're, if you're functioning like that, don't be surprised that using that which you've been given incorrectly becomes the source of your chaos. More so than the environmental chaos that we all deal with. More so. Anybody got anything to share as we close down? And that's that's a weighty end to a lighthearted conversation. Uh, but I think it's right. I think it's good. I do. So I want to encourage you in this. I want to encourage you in this. Jesus possesses peace. He showed us how it works. He had a few rhythms in his life that were recognizable and undeniable. He had work and rest. He worked really hard and then he rested really well. 
He had community and, I, and, and, and solitude. He pressed into people, spent time around people, and then he would go and he would rest in solitude with his heavenly father. He'd go spend time alone. And then he'd, he wouldn't do that to retreat. He'd do that to re-energize and go back into community, go back into solitude, go back into community, go back into solitude. And finally, he'd pray. But it wasn't a replacement for obedience. He would pray, and then he'd get up, and he'd go obey. Father, if there's a way you can take this from me, I don't want to die on the cross. I don't want to be bled out. I don't want to go through this. But if this is what you have for me, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to obey. And he did. He walked in it. And through his struggles, became a perfect, flawless, spotless sacrifice for you and for me to cleanse our sin, to reunite us to our Heavenly Father. So here's the deal. You, if you possess Jesus, if you say, he is my hope, I put my trust, my faith in him. He has accomplished it for me. He died for me. God rose him from the dead for my victory. And I believe it. And I trust it. And I'm going to walk with him. Then you have peace. It's been given to you. But just because you possess it doesn't mean you practice it. But you have the ability to destroy the authority of chaos in your life if you will establish some clear rhythms. It's yours. If you have Jesus, you have that. Now the flip side of that is if, if you've pushed Jesus away and said, you know what, I'm going to pursue peace in another avenue. I want to warn you that I don't think it exists. You have all the freedom in the world to pursue peace in whatever avenues and whatever teachings you want to. But in the end, Jesus has said very clear that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that I am the Lord. That day is coming. And what we have pursued and what we have in our hand that day will define whether we are a child of God in his presence or whether we're cast away whether we have peace or whether we don't, for all eternity. Um, so I would urge those who have Jesus, put into practice the peace you possess. Those that want to possess it somewhere else, I, I, I compel you, I urge you to consider Christ. To call upon his name and be saved. To receive gift of peace and gift of salvation from him. Because it doesn't, there's no other name by which men must be saved, Peter said. There's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. I want to pray for us. Whatever your response is, whatever you need to do, man, today is the day. Today is the day. God, we thank you for letting us be in your presence today. I know as these men led us in, in worship through songs, that you were reaching out to us and present with us. As we opened up your scriptures, you were speaking to us and compelling us to believe, compelling us to submit, changing our minds about how we think and how we approach life. And we thank you for that.